All right, welcome. Teaching others also. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 is our beginning point. And uh, we're going to do a follow-up to Your Value. This will just be Your Value Part 2. I was really impressed with these thoughts. And it's something that for a while has been on my heart and mind. And today is again still the 24th of March, 2022. And this morning we put up, uh, did and put up, your value, but these thoughts are things that didn't get included in there, and so it really ends up being a whole different, a whole continuing message. So it's a follow-up to that first one. If you haven't listened to it, I, you really ought to first. And you know, <clears throat> people who are serious about stuff, like for example, when people put out educational things, you know, training or knowledge videos and audios. When you're serious about it, you go back and listen to them and put the pieces together. And I think as Christians, we probably should be more that way. Now, we're going to start with this part two of your value. Without repeating ourselves, we're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And I trust uh, not everyone will know where that's at just by nature. If you happen to know, it doesn't make you better or smarter. It's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then, of course, Song of Solomon. Now, just go to the middle of your Bible, grab Psalms, hang a right, that's Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes in your Bible will say, in your King James Bible, Ecclesiastes, then it'll say, or, comma, the preacher. So, we know it's written by Solomon, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, verse 1. And the key to this book, if you're reading it as a whole, is the term, under the sun. So keep that in mind if you're ever reading Ecclesiastes or if you ever see quotes from Ecclesiastes put out there. It's under the sun. This is a horizontal view of life, not vertical. Vertical would be if you looked up and saw God and related life to the Lord. So it's primarily a, a horizontal look. And that's why I, I feel impressed to, to look at it together for a little bit and it's worth reading the whole book, it's worth reading it frequently, to understand that there's two kinds of thinking. And even though we live on earth, we're not supposed to be of the earth, and yet we have to do constantly earthly duties and earthly things. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. That takes us down to the first paragraph mark in this book. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another, another generation cometh. But the earth abideth forever. Poetic statement. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. What you're about to read, if you wanted to write it in the margin of your, of your copy of the Bible, like I have, is round and round. You know, apostrophe, round and round. Ready? The sun also riseth, the sun goeth down, hates to his place where he rose. The wind goeth toward the south, turneth about unto the north, it whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth according to the circuits. Round and round. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. Round and round. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. If it's worthwhile, it takes labor. 
Now, when you're doing a labor of love, it may not feel as much like labor. We'll talk about that. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Uh, people who like to go and see stuff, they want to go see more. Uh, people who like to hear stuff, they want to hear more. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. One of the phrases that will come to mind is what? That history repeats itself. Someone has said the one thing that mankind learns from history is that they never learn from history. Verse 10, is there anything whereof it may be said? See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. Someday you're going to find out that all this technology stuff and all this communication is actually a pretty small, cheap imitation of what went on six, five, six thousand years ago. You just mark it down. Not going to get into it. There is no remembrance, verse 11, of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Now, have you ever felt like Solomon? You haven't lived very long if you haven't. Or you've just been, you know, numb with whatever you do. But verse 2, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity here is not pride, it's emptiness. It's something that doesn't satisfy. It's a fruitless desire. It's a trifling labor that produces no good. Round and round. It's like when I grew up, we had racehorses. Racehorses are primarily confined to stalls because of the nature of horse racing. And so you clean their stalls every day. You feed them three times a day. You check their water at least twice a day, and you do it day after day after day after day. And no matter how well you clean that stall this morning, you clean it again tomorrow. In fact, you're going to pick out the stuff that isn't supposed to be in a clean stall in the afternoon to keep that straw clean and keep that horse from rolling in his own stuff. You cook, you clean, you tidy, you do it again. You mow you trim, you weedy, you rake, you do it again. Your hair grows, you get a haircut, your nails grow, you cut them, the dust settles, the tires wear down. I mean, you can fill in all your own blanks. It'll happen to you today. You charge the batteries, they have to get recharged. Whatever it is, you put fuel in the tank and you painfully have to put more, more fuel in the tank. Vanity. And then notice what he says. In chapter 1 there, verse 14, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. Behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Uh, you fellows, it'd be like the honey-do list. You knock it out and it seems to grow. Vexation and vexing is when something's irritating or disturbing or distressing or harassing. It gets on your nerves. It's vexation of spirit. Listen, pleasure will not fulfill you look at look at chapter 2 verse 1 i said in mine heart go to now i will prove thee with mirth therefore enjoy pleasure and behold this also is vanity i said of laughter it is mad and of mirth what doeth it pleasure won't do it pleasure won't get rid of that vexation of spirit you got to get more pleasure and pretty soon you got to get more pleasure and more pleasure pleasure isn't just a sensual thing although that's one way people live it out pleasure can just be pleasure 
And pleasure can just be stuff you like to do, things that are pleasing to you. But you, you're not going to be uh, fulfilled. Your value will never be fulfilled with pleasure. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. Mark that down. I remember this so distinctly. Growing up, we didn't have church. We didn't have a Bible. But I can remember telling my dad frequently, one of these days I'm going to find something I can give my whole life to. When I was growing up, I felt like it was going to be being a veterinarian and working with animals and livestock and training horses. I did. And then I come to Christ. I remember sitting at the little round breakfast table at this place with him, a little trailer. And I said to him one morning, Dad, I found it. He said, what have you found? He's reading the morning paper. They actually had those back then. And this, this wasn't in the 1800s. It was the 1900s, 1970s. <laughs> he said... What have you found? Never even moved his paper. And I said, I found something I can give my life to. And he leaned that paper down. He said, ah, what is it? And I tried to put it in words. I didn't know how yet. Didn't know any Bible or scripture. He said, ah, that'll wear off. And it didn't. But it didn't of either him either. Planting will not do it. What, is he, what did he do? He said, I made me great works. I built me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and, or, and orchards. And I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. This is in chapter 2, verse 4, verse 5. Uh, verse 6, I made me pools of water to water there with the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants. So planting won't do it. You know what happens when you plant? Then you harvest and you got to replant. Planting won't do it. People and possessions will not do it. Ready? I got me servants and made servants and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gather all, me also silver and gold, etc. People and possessions will not do it. Look at verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on all on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. See that verse, that phrase, I mean, look at it, under the sun. Mark it down. He's got the horizontal look going. Now, I'm obviously figure that I'm talking to Christians. If you don't happen to be a Christian and somehow you got a hold of listening to this, you need to come to Christ. You need Christ. And you need to go ahead and embrace Him as your Savior and just go ahead and give it all to Him and let Him be your everything. Just do it. <coughs> you can plan for your wealth. You can plan for your estate. Look at chapter 2 there, verse 18. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. Someone said that the wealthy Texan died, and someone said, you know how much he left? And the Christian said, all of it. All of it. He said, verse 19 of chapter 2, Ecclesiastes, And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored, wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. And the solution isn't for the little bumper sticker that says I'm spending my children's inheritance. That's not the solution. Probably not a bad idea. Probably keep them from arguing and fighting with each other. But the thing is, if you read on down through here, all the way through verse 26, <coughs> the, the, the key of it is, is that you can plan your wealth and plan stuff. That isn't what gives you your value 
or nor will it satisfy. Then we come to chapter 3. Now, we've talked about vanity and vexation. We're going to talk about vision. Solomon and God uses Solomon to weave into this book of life under the sun the thought that there are certain facts of life that you've got to deal with, and if you will deal with them with a vertical look, even though you've got to deal with the horizontal, it'll change how you come out. To everything, chapter 3, verse 1. There is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He makes a statement in verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. You see, he keeps telling you, don't forget God in this. Don't forget God in this. Look at chapter 4. This is just introduction. Chapter 4, verse 6. A better is an handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. He's casting a vision. Look at verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Now how you view life has everything to do with your value and your sense of value. You see, way back even when I was growing up, you know, they started the video games and then You'd go into the video arcade or somebody would and they'd have, uh, you know, their initials there, high score. And, of course, nowadays there's stuff that's online and there's social media. But the point is none of that is your value. What you can do to turn a buck is not necessarily your value. People have, people have fallen so far down are so earthy that even doing things that are wrong, like really wrong, and corrupt and even perverted, if they can make money at it, people say, well, they're making, a, they're making a mighty good living. They're making money at it. The Bible is intended to form your thinking if you'll let it. And trial and error is not necessary, nor is it safe. And so in this part two of your value, I want to use four thoughts. Okay, and they're not just horizontal. Now they we live on the horizontal, but we need a vertical look. The first thing that helps us understand our value. Let me say this, all right. And I, I always try to hesitate to be. Uh, use my own situation, what I'm thinking or whatever, as any kind of pattern. But I think I know this from observation, from reading my Bible, from knowing people, from living a few years. There are times 
when it's more important for you to be able to see your value in God's way. And then there are times when you need to remind yourself what gives you value in God's eyes so you're not trying to find value in the world's way of doing it. The first point is standards of weights and measures. Standards of weights and measures is a, is a life fact. Proverbs talks about it. He talks about weights. He talks about measures. But standards of weights and measures are everywhere. When you go to pay these high sums that we pay right now for gasoline, you want to get a gallon of gas. If you go and pay for a pound of meat or whatever it is you're getting, you want to get a pound of it. Some of y'all say, well, I want more than a pound. Well, if you do that, then the other person is allowed to give you less if, if you're not going to have a standard. When I think of that, I think of some of the Bible phrases where he says, be ye. Over in Genesis 9, he told them, be ye fruitful. They came off the ark. And he said, be fruitful, multiply. And Leviticus 20 said, be ye holy. And Joshua 8, he said, be ye ready. Matthew 5, 48, he said, be ye perfect as your Father which is in heaven. He's not talking about being able to say you're the perfect human being, but be perfected, complete. In Romans 12, Paul said, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And 1 Corinthians 1, he said, be ye followers of me. And 1 Corinthians 14, he said, be ye followers as children. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be ye steadfast. What am I saying? You need standards of weights and measures. And they need to be several things based upon saved by grace. If you grew up in an environment where what you did is what got you accepted or how you behaved or didn't behave or your grades or your productivity or your compliance, you know, or any of those things. One of the powers that face young people is always this thing. Where is my value? Well, someone says, well, <coughs> I don't have any value in this social setting, say at school or in the community. Or making friends. I don't have any value unless I do this or that. Or I can say this or that. Well, the, the thing is, that's, not, that's a horizontal look. And it can change just as quick as night and day. It's based upon saved by grace. The standard of weights and measures for our life starts with being saved by grace. I'm saved. And secondly, it's built upon scriptures. Now, I'll tell you this. There is no substitute for reading your Bible. And there is no substitute for underlining or highlighting. At, at my age, I, my hand is not as steady as it once was. So instead of trying to underline or carry a ruler, I use, I use a highlighter. And it's been a blessing to me. i got a couple different colors. and I don't have some major basic color scheme. I'm, those of you who are organized do, I'm sure. But my point is, scriptures, you need scriptures. Scriptures means writings. It's the words of God. And you need them in context. But you need some standards of weights and measures. Some of God's be-ye's are more important than do-ye's. And there are certain things we do because we are being, okay? But what we're supposed to be is His. It's based upon saved by grace. It's not based upon works or performance or any of those things. It's built upon the scriptures. We read a verse here and make a note. We underline it. We read it every day. We read other. 
and to tie this together with you, it's believed above earthly standards. I, I would say that in the day we live in, with the way communication is in the Western world, okay? And by the way, you can think what you will. There is such a blessing to some form of being isolated in a place where you're not bombarded by all this stuff. The Bible is so powerful when it has time to sink into your mind and heart. Some of the greatest times of my life are when there's nothing to be heard and nothing to be checking on and you reach in your backpack or you reach in your briefcase and you pull out your Bible and you're just sitting there reading. Oh man, I, I know probably some of you live in a city, a busy city. I get that. But even then, it's still a blessing. You go to... And, and I know pandemic has changed some things, but you go to a little coffee shop or you sit down and maybe you get over in the corner, whatever, and, and there's noise, but you can block out noise that way by just opening the Bible and reading it. Some days it's good for you to sit down and just read those history books of the Bible. Start in Genesis, then read Exodus, and then pick it up in Joshua and Judges and and, and Ruth and First and Second Samuel, etc., and, and read through there and then pick up the gospel read them and just get yourself familiar with scripture with the thesis of scripture with the teachings of it the themes of it you need standards of weights and measures you need a standard of how you're going to treat others regardless of how they treat you standards of how you're going to react and live with others regardless of what the world's propagating or how bad and crass they are God's rule for us has not changed because the world's gone crazy. If you'll think about Noah's day, and it's not as bad as Noah's day yet, because he said when it does, then something's going to happen. It was filled with violence. It was filled with corruption. And Noah didn't let it get to him. And that's how we need to think as individuals. You're not going to have an ark to build. You're probably not going to be, I know I'm not going to be famous in eternity at all. But I am saved by grace. I can build my life on the scriptures. And I can believe God's standard of weights and measures above all earthly standards. You're coming down when you let the earth and the world tell you how to behave. All right, the second thing is the seasons of life. We read this passage in Ecclesiastes 3 about to everything there is a season, a time to every purpose. The seasons of life. Here it is today. It's raining. It's raining a lot of places. It's raining where I'm at. Get a couple inches probably in the next few hours. Raining. Now, it's been a long time since, since every single day I went out and framed and did outdoor carpentry for a living. But it was such a part of your life when you're doing it that when it rains like that, you think about that. Uh, when we were living hand to mouth trying to do carpentry, we would pray what we called down south for a poor man's rain. We'd pray it would rain at night so we could work in the day. But I still remember even way back going through Bible Institute, you're taking, you know, three years of Greek, a year of Hebrew, you're studying for your Bible test exams. And every now and then it'd rain you out. And it'd be such a blessing. You say, I bet you went home and slept all day. You couldn't. Not if you wanted to get through. You'd go home and study. 
And so to this day, when it's raining and you can hear it on the rooftop, boy, if you get to be around a barn or a metal roof, uh, that's the part I love the most. Crack open your Bible, crack open a book, read that book. If you're listening to an audio file, make sure you do open your Bible if you can. Get all the rest going. So that rain sparks things, seasons. Now, when we had horses, <laughs> there was no change. The only thing that changed was what you wore that day. You made sure you had your slicker and some boots that weren't going to get ruined because you were going in the mud and you were going to clean it and you were going to get wet or you are going to get cold or both, depending on what it was like. Three things about the seasons of life. The seasons of life have opposites. Time to born, time to die. Cold and heat. <laughs> uh, in Australia, it's fire and flood. Okay? Opposites. Seasons of life have opposites. If the opposites throw you off kilter, you need to work on that. Your value doesn't change if some opposite is coming to your life. You know, some people and have, have had a time of their life where they were very busy, whether it be with work or with rearing children or with life or church work, and then God said, okay, it's time for the opposite. It's going to be quieter. Well, your value hasn't changed. As long as you will just follow the Lord and love Him and listen to Him, your value hasn't changed. And so opposites are part of life. The seasons of life are opposites. There's night and day, of course, but the seasons are. It's hot, it's cold. Some places it's colder than cold. <laughs> okay, and it's, Isn't it amazing? I know when the further north we went, sometimes racing, uh, it'd be cold in the winter and there'd be a time, especially those dog days of August when it would be hot, miserable hot. And those cultures would have two extremes. And in between, man, I love spring, things come alive, and I love the autumn, the fall. You know, all the different things that happen in the fall and the change and the cooler weather comes and you throw on a flannel shirt to go to work and that kind of stuff but opposites. Some opposites you're going to like. I find it so hilarious. When it's hot, people can't wait for winter. When it, winter comes, they can't wait for summer. It cracks me up. If you're not careful, that'll affect how you, your sense of value, how you view your life. Seasons of life are not just opposites, but they're occasional. Sometimes a season of life comes in. He says, it's time to kill, time to heal. Okay? Uh, verse 2, a time to be born, a time to die. Those are two opposite ends. But in between there, he says, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. They're occasional. You don't always know when a season's coming into your life. You don't necessarily know sometimes when a season of grief has come to your life. I watched the reenactment of a true story of a football player in the NFL that, uh, that was going to go to the NFL and everything, and his life was cut short. Worked his way up through hard situations. Life cut short. But you know what God did through it? God saved some people through it. Uh, God started blessing some people through just the fact that he lived for God. And you know, when you think about these things, understand that they're occasional. They're random. You, Another word for occasional, part of that word is random. You don't always see them coming. Now, you take springtime, you know, sometimes... It'll look like spring has sprung, and then you get a hard frost. 
And sometimes if people aren't prepared for the hard frost, nowadays, of course, you've got weather apps and you've got everything on earth. But in the old days, you had to kind of figure it out and be ready for it. They're occasional. I don't know what season you're in right now. But I know this, there are seasons that are occasional that we lose sight of our value in Christ. But seasons of life are also opportunities. The number one opportunity is for us to show this. Ready? That God is enough. God is enough. I remember one time we used, we made a banner out of that and put it up uh, in the church there, down under. I remember one time Brother Wood had that theme, God is enough. That thing has stuck with me through the years because I'll be honest with you, maybe you have never ever you know, had to deal with a, a lack of feeling valuable or whatever because of some season in your life. But some of us who are just everyday people, it happens to us. It does. And it's something if you want to be of value to God, it, it kind of gets to you a little bit. So every season is an opportunity. The opportunity isn't the same in one of the good seasons as it is one of the difficult seasons. Now, I've learned this, and I'm going to give you a little phrase, you've heard me say it before, about weather, for example. I'm giving an illustration. People always, the weather, it's hot, or it's cold, or this or that. I heard a fellow say, the Norwegians say, there is no such thing as bad weather, just poor clothing. Well, they get some harsh weather. <laughs> but ever since I've read, I was like, you know, I'm not going to waste a day fighting the weather. Now, you may, have to, you may have to resist the weather to get something done. You may have to not observe the clouds and regard the wind. You may have to do that, but you can't fight it. Years ago, I read this little thing that's helped me a ton. And a couple went, they got married, and on their honeymoon, they went to this nice place up in the, like up in the mountains and the woods, and they were going to do hikes and all that. And on the front porch of this area was a man sitting there, an old man sitting there in a rocking chair, and he was whittling. He would whittle these little figurines and sell them. And the first day of this honeymoon, it rained. They couldn't go, and the young girl who got married came out, and she was just frustrated. Second day, it rained. Third day, it rained. On the third day, when she came out, and every day she'd come out and complain and stuff, and the old man wouldn't really say anything. On the third day, she came out and complained, and finally she smacked that rail on that porch. She looked at him and said, How can you sit there and just whittle on that wood and just seem so content when this rain is ruining my honeymoon. And he stopped rocking for a minute, put his hands down his lap, and he said, Missy, he said, I learned a long time ago, when it rains, let it. <laughs> and I've been in situations, let me just tell you something, where rain was a miserable thing. I've been stranded in places where it rained for days on it, and you stayed wet, because you were pretty much living outdoors. Wet, wet, wet. And everything got wet. I, so I can, I, that thing helped me through many a time. Because I had read that before all that happened, and I was like, you know what? When it rains, you better let it. So I said, well, it's washing this away. I know, but after it's over, we've got to deal with it, but might as well let it. What am I saying? Every, every season is an opportunity to say God is enough. If you want value, and if you want to sense your value, Set out in your life to prove that God is enough. And it can be something that's as serious as passing of a loved one. 
Or it can be something that's as frivolous as a toy breaking <laughs> or something you like not happening or some meal you get not being. I, I'm, I'm so amazed at how intolerant the Western world has become about mistakes. It's because they're self-centered. Child of God, don't get self-centered. Don't get so absorbed in your life that you hurt someone else's over a mistake. Cook the steak a little bit. Well, they'll replace it. Didn't get the eggs cooked enough. Well, they can heat them up. Forgot your order. Wrote the wrong thing down. Really, that's the end of the world? You ought to be thankful you got something to eat. There's a lot of people that would eat the leftovers that you send back to the kitchen to be thrown in the rubbish. Your opportunity is to say God is enough. All right, thirdly, let's go all the way to chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. This is not an exhaustive treatment. It would be exhausting. But I am praying that God help me to sow seed because these thoughts have helped me a lot. And I, I review them frequently. Listen, when, when, you've, when you've been in a situation where of necessity, God's necessity, <coughs> life is just full and constant. And then a different season comes, which is kind of an opposite. And then another season comes, which is the opposite of that. And the seasons are occasional. The opportunity is always this. God is enough. God is enough. Chapter 12, Ecclesiastes. Now watch. Verse 8. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanities. Now that, after all this treatise and all, all these things, it hasn't changed. Remember, we opened the book with it. Okay? And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. So even when you realize that life is vain on earth, you're supposed to still teach the people knowledge. Pastors, Sunday school teachers, disciplers, even when those people you teach do the knucklehead thing and forget what you taught them, and you have to go back and review it, and sometimes personally. You know, I used to have this thing I would do. Someone wanted to come when I was leading them, pastor and join the church and i'd say okay look here's the only thing after we talk about salvation all that i'd say my calling is to be a shepherd yours is a sheep not a dictator but a shepherd so if things get all out of whack i just ask when we shake hands you are agreeing that i will one day be allowed to remind you that i'm a shepherd you're a sheep and we made disagreement we agreed on it and then we shake the man and i you say, well, did you ever have to remind people? Yeah, you did occasionally. And I'm not talking about like dictating and leading, but you had to occasionally. Why? Because people get out of whack. They're sheep. We're sheep. We have things in our, us shepherds have things in our own lives that we use to keep us in line. So I'm saying this, that moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many Proverbs. Hence the book of Proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. You could refer to Proverbs twenty-two seventeen to 21 there. Pretty good. Now let me say this. If you happen to be someone who deals in the Word of God, and you're not spending enough time seeking out the acceptable words, how you ought to say what you say, you're lazy. And you really shouldn't be preaching. Because you're not being fair to the sheep. When we had our animals and we had horses and all kind of livestock and we had dogs that 
helped us do stuff. We monitored and chose what they ate for the purpose of keeping them healthy and strong. And you are supposed to seek out acceptable words and upright, even words of truth. Because, verse 11, the words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies which are given from one shepherd. That's where the phrase comes, well, that nailed it down for me. That's where the idea of, you know, you can hang your hat on it. You, you can hang your life on this truth. It's supposed to be something that you will drive it in, and by driving it in, people can use it. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books, there's no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. You see, it's supposed to be a labor, 1 Timothy 5, to preach and teach the Bible. And if you don't labor at it, you should stop. You say, well, who are you to say it? I didn't. The Bible said it. So number three then. Well, let's, yeah. Sayings that guide your thinking and your life and your sentence. Sayings. Beware of sayings that match life on earth without God. Beware of horizontal sayings. Now, a horizontal saying may have a really similar truth to it of a Bible saying. But make sure you get the whole saying. I had somebody close to me used to say, don't get mad, don't get even, get ahead. Okay. That was a pre-God statement. Philosophy. You know, the world. It's better to, easier to ask forgiveness than to get permission. That's the world. Bumper sticker. Well-behaved women seldom make history. That's the world. There's all kinds of them. You golfers, I'd rather be driving a Titleist. Well, wouldn't you rather be standing in heaven? Wouldn't you rather be following Jesus Christ? And look, golf's fun. Well, it's supposed to be. <laughs> Beware of sayings that do not match heavenly life on earth, that just match life on earth without God. We should believe carefully a couple things about these sayings. Now, you say, this about my value? Yeah. See, when, when my thinking is right, when my thinking is facing upwards, even though I'm living horizontally, it affects my horizontal living and it affects my sense of value so that I don't get off track. Look, there's some things that are, there's hobbies that are a blessing and it's fine to have them. There's activities that are a blessing. But my, my concern is, for all of us, myself included, that we would get off track getting our sense of value through something that is only earthly. We need sayings that match Scripture. We need sayings that measure up to point number one, which is the standards of weights and measures. And we need sayings that make you and I more like Jesus Christ and His teaching on a believer. That's what we need. Point number four is the summation of a valued life, verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. 
For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now let me say this. The reason you need to continue to read your Bible, the reason you need to continue to digest things that are clear teachings of the Christian life is that as you grow in Christ, His commandments expand. There's many a person that doesn't know that it says, be ye subject one to another. There's people who don't know, Christians who don't know, that He gave the commandment that you love one another. There's some who don't know that it's a commandment to abstain from all appearance of evil. So as you read your Bible, you become more accountable. Value. Your value. You and I's value to God isn't just that we're saved and going home to heaven. Our value to God is when we follow Him and love Him, fear Him, and keep His commandments. And it's the whole duty of man. If I'm splitting wood, it's for Him. If I'm doing something for someone, whether it be a widow or a homeless person or the church, it's for Him. So it doesn't matter if anybody knows I did it. It doesn't matter if anybody ever recognizes I did it. Today, it doesn't matter if anyone knows what I do in obedience to Christ today. I'm going to make a couple audio files. I'll, I'll put them up. But 99.99999% of the world, a higher number than that even, will never know what I did today. But God does. And God is enough. Here's a good phrase for you. God knows. God knows. That is a great phrase. And here's why. Because what matters is that God knows. See, if we're not careful, we forget that what really matters is what God knows. I, I think about this a lot, okay? Because there's a time in our lives when we have to decide, is it enough that God knows? When Paul wrote to the Corinthians one time, you know what he wrote? He was talking about why he'd written these things. It's in 2 Corinthians 11. And basically he said, Wherefore? Because I love you not. He wrote, God knoweth. In other words, he knew what his motive was. And he's like, you can count my motives if you want, but God knoweth. And here's the thing. God knows. God knows. One of the things that I think is so important is that you and I can realize that God knows. God knows. It's not you and I trusting ourselves. If, if you want something that will help you with that, go to uh, 1 Corinthians 4 and I'll close. It's gone a little longer than I thought it would. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> Your value. And it's not... Your value to God. It's not that kind of thing. It's even more than that. It's just your value. Because honestly, your value to God is what it's about. Because then you'll have some value to others. But honestly, you can't let what other people think your value is affect you. And it's not a matter of not caring about them. Listen, uh, there's many a thing I've done in my life. No one ever thanked me for, etc. 
hard things, and I'm so glad I did them because I know God told me to do it. And as far as I know, you know, he'll mention it to me personally on, on the way, or he'll just say, that was obedience, great. First Corinthians 4, and we'll close. Your value to God, ready? Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So it's to God, not a man of God. <coughs> Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For many of us, the hardest part is we judge ourselves and we go, man, I'm just useless. I don't have much value to the body of Christ. Well, my value isn't to the body of Christ. My value is to God. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judged me is Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, will make manifest the counsel of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. He said it doesn't matter who sows, it doesn't matter who waters, it's God that giveth the increase, and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if you go on to read this, who makes you to differ, uh, how someone has had this gift or that, it doesn't matter. The summation of a valued life is that God is enough and you just obey God. And whatever season you're in, it might be the opposite of a season you felt valuable in. You might be in an occasional season where you just, it seems so random. You might, but the opportunity is there to prove God is enough. All right, well, I hope it's been a blessing. Thank you for listening. Be praying for you. God be with you.